Hi, I'm David Orner, and this is SEO in 2023. David, what's your number one SEO tip for 2023? I think the big one is, uh, we spoke about this internally um, a couple of weeks ago, is cutting through the noise. So the big thing in regards to SEO, there's a whole lot of noise out there. You've got paid search, you've got image results, you've got TikTok search, you've got Amazon search. And for consumers, it's basically information overload. So, you know, you've got billions and billions of results. How can you cut through that noise to reach out to consumer? What is the, I guess, the where do you have the right to play is probably the big thing. Um, and what do you think is actually achievable? So potentially there's a lot of results uh, around your brand terms or the general industry terms around video. That's great, but most people don't have the budgets or the resource to produce video content. So when you're trying to cut through the noise, what your solution? What is your best solution? Is it text-based content, which is pretty easy to reduce? Image-based content, which is based on existing text-based content? Um, and also you've got other things such as whether it's rich snippets, local packs, reviews, Google seems to be rolling a new schema every couple of weeks. Um, and then obviously, you know, it's the dirty word, but Google Ads. Maybe sometimes it makes sense to invest a bit of budget into Google Ads to cut through that noise and validate that those particular terms are things you actually want to rank for before you start investing a lot of energy. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the big thing is how do you stand out from your competitors and you have to be realistic. So how... Do you best determine what it is you should be focusing on? Is it simply the SERP? Do you actually do your keyword research, determine what you want to be targeting, and then analyze the SERP to see if it's a worthwhile opportunity? Yeah, so I, I think there's a couple of things to do. So one is um, definitely if you haven't had a chance, um, Snippet Digital has actually built a very cool keyword tool, um, Keyword Intelligence, I believe. I hope I got that right. Um, but reach out to the, the Snippet Digital folks. They'll give you a tour of their tool. That does a really cool way of classifying the intent. Um, and I know there's another couple of third-party tools out there which also classify keywords into intent funnels. And that's one place you want to start um, because basically if you're a transaction website, you, you want to make sure you're focusing on keywords which are more likely to convert. If you're an informational website, you know, where to buy, how to buy. It's not ever going to convert on your website. You don't have the functionality. You shouldn't be focused on those types of terms. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think very much you need to consider the keywords and the intent and does that match to your website's purpose. Intent. Uh, how do you best determine the intent? Um, is it using keyword tools uh, like you've suggested or is it, perhaps the case that uh, an SEO or perhaps even a content marketer needs to analyze um, all the keyword phrases that you're intending to target or perhaps even uh, simply researching and then determining what type of intent there is behind each keyword phrase. The way I like to approach it is the manual, the hard work. Obviously you can rely on some of these tools when you try and do things at scale, um, but how I do it in my day-to-day -day stuff, it's the hard work. It's the classification at an individual keyword level. Um, that's the best way to do it because, you know, um, I think you need to be reasonable around this. You go to a tool like, you know, as it's SEMrush or any of those tools, and they give you 5 million possible keywords you'd be focusing on. Um, whereas if you use your Google Search Console data, 
and classify your existing Search Console data into the intent funnel, that stuff which is actually much more achievable. And you talked about transactional, informational. Are there other types of intent that you classify your keywords into? Uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a few other areas. Um, some of them, I, I can't share everything. Um, but you've also got product-based and brand-based terms uh, because typically if you're a website, you should actually be able to at least rank for your brand. Um, and I, I think that's sometimes where people, I guess, uh, focus on the wrong areas. And again, that's the thing of cutting through the noise. So if you're Majestic, and I know they did have this issue when they did the, the reset of the branding, you're moving from Majestic SEO into Majestic. You're competing against Majestic Wines, Majestic the apparel company, uh, Majestic the DJ. So you're then fighting for all these other um, brands. So at least you need to start making sure you've got visibility on your brand. Once you've got that visibility, then you can start moving to more the, the category and industry-based terms. So thinking about what you said before as well, you were talking about competing potentially with Google paid ads. Uh, focusing in on brand, brand SEO, um, are you a, a fan of always bidding on your own brand? Um, is that not necessarily the right thing to be doing all the time? I think it needs to be done very carefully. Um, obviously, it depends on how aggressively your competitors are going after your terms. Um, but I think a lot of situations, it doesn't always make sense if you've got limited budgets. If you're a big brand or a big company, um, you've likely got larger budgets to play for. But if you're a, a small retailer or you're a, um, a local tour operator, you may not be able to bid on the, you know, the, the term Niagara Falls. Or you may not be able to bid, uh, bid on, you know, big bus tours. Um, so I, I think it makes sense to be uh, realistic when it comes to sort of um, what you have available to spend um, because there's always some with bigger budgets. So if you're in the travel sector, you're competing against, you know, Expedia and Booking. They're spending over, t well, pre-COVID, over $10 billion a year on, on paid traffic. You, you don't have the, the budget to play. The same thing for um, retailers. You know, they will lose money to get that, um, that consumer or um, customer into their store. So I, I think you need to consider bidding on brand terms where it makes sense. But I, I don't think it makes sense to be crazy or throw all your budget into that. And I think that's sometimes where, at least um, in the past, I've seen agencies prefer to focus on that because it's easy. So in a business I worked out previously, um, I think it was around 89% of the entire paid budget was spent on brand. When that was stopped, organic traffic increased strangely because there was cannibalization happening. So overall, you will get more traffic, um, but there will be a, a sort of a, a tipping point um, where you'll actually start to get cannibalization. In terms of cutting through the noise, you talked about... Um other areas that uh, consumers tend to be on, Amazon, um, other other sites as well. Um, do you ideally decide on the optimum platform for each stage of the con consumer journey or each, um, each keyword and just focus in on an individual marketing channel for that particular opportunity? Or is it, um, is it more valuable to have multiple sources of traffic for the, the same search or the, the same customer acquisition opportunity? Um, so I think it helps to focus on low-hanging fruit first, which is obviously Google search. But then you need to sort of chase where the, the opportunity is. 
So if it's, if you're in the travel space, it's maybe optimization within TripAdvisor, um, or optimization with Google Maps or in Google local listings. So I, I think it very much depends on where you're playing. Um, if you're a retail player, it could be Pinterest SEO. It could be Amazon SEO. Um, so you want to sort of focus on Google search because that's, um, obviously where most of the informational sort of, I guess, new customers are coming from. But then once you've sort of started to get that working, you want to look to sort of where the, your top referral channels are, um, or your top um, affiliate sales come from. Um, because again, if it's YouTube, you know, you have to be on YouTube, but assume you need more money to be invested to create some of the video content. So you need to make sure that your, um, Google SEO, I guess, revenue is sufficient to start funding some of these other channels. So there's no point throwing all your eggs in the basket, hoping on Pinterest SEO works for you. Um, because that's obviously going to take a lot more effort than optimizing for Google. It's obviously a lot easier financially to justify focusing in on brand and transactional type keyword phrases. Um, but, um, there is an, uh, an opportunity, uh, an option and perhaps even, um, a great opportunity to drive traffic to top of funnel type keyword phrases as well. Um, so how do you justify spending a significant budget on top of funnel keyword phrases that, um, are attracting people that perhaps haven't heard of your brand before, aren't actively considering purchasing your type of product or service. Um, how do you cut through the noise and really actually make people aware of what you do from top of funnel keyword phrases? So uh, I think for a lot of players that guess caption that visibility around the top of funnel is not something you can do in the next six to 12 months. So I think you need to be realistic in your timeframes. So product, you know, it should be the next couple of months you want to focus on it. Then you start moving into sort of solution-based terms. Um, you know, um, I'm trying to think of Majestic-themed examples, um, but it's, it's kind of, you know, um, backlink research. And then you go to the next stage, which is the, the sort of the need-based stuff is, you know, how do I understand my competitors? Um, um, and we're going to use a competitor's phrase, domain authority. So that's a kind of the top part of the funnel, but you have to kind of work your way up to that. Well, I mean, in terms of Majestic, um, this particular project, SEO in 2023, um, ideally ranking for that kind of keyword phrase or at least targeting an audience who are interested in finding out more about SEO, but um, may not necessarily be aware of Majestic. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, those types of seasonal-based terms, you know, um, Black Friday 2022, Black Friday, there's already websites focusing on 2023 because, you know, it can take three to four months to start to get some visibility. And also, I guess what a few people have talked on SEO Twitter recently, um, people are already starting to do research around Christmas. So if you have a website that has content to focus on, you know, getting Christmas sales, whether it's selling toys or um, Christmas cards, those types of things, you're actually already kind of maybe too late if you haven't started doing your SEO. So, uh, you know, using tools like Google Trends, you can start to see when there are common seasonal patterns and when you want to kind of get ahead of that. Because, again, if you're thinking about focusing also from a paid perspective, if you're going to switch on your Google Ads in November, a lot of people have already made their purchases because, it, you know, with um, global shipping delays, it may be two to three months before they can get their items so they're going to order today. Um, and also it gets very competitive. So, you know, the traffic you could have bought today through Google Ads for 15, 20 cents per click is probably going to sequentially double every month to when it gets the week before Christmas and people are desperate for their last minute sales. 
they might be paying five, ten, twenty dollars per click to capture that traffic. But again, it's only going to be a handful of competitors, whether you're Amazon or Walmart or Tesco's, that can guarantee that item will actually be shipped prior to Christmas. Um, so yes, yeah, so I, I think it's important to be realistic about it. Um, you also want to, as I said, make sure you own your your product space um, or your geographic space. If you're a travel operator, you know um, things to do in Birmingham. Um, Majestic should get two or going things to do in Birmingham. Um, two of the Majestic office, but yeah, again, you sort of you want you want to grow out from that. So you know things to do in um, Birmingham, things to do in um, you know the UK, things to do in Europe. So as you move up in terms of your authority and the space and your content, you can sort of move higher up in the the, the pecking order. And just a final thought about cutting through the noise. So if you're zeroing in on those top of funnel keywords that aren't going to result or are highly unlikely to result in an immediate sale, um, how do you cut through the noise by giving a wonderful content experience to that person discovering you for the first time? What, what kind of content is more likely to keep people engaged now? And, and how do you actually get that immediate focus, get that immediate retention from someone who's perhaps just willing to view your website for 10 seconds before clicking away? Yeah, so I, I think it's about focusing on, I guess, more of the FAQ types of product usage questions um, about, you know, how do I calculate my trust flow? Um, what is the difference between trust flow and citation flow? Um, you know, um, how does spam influence Majestic's backlink profile? So those types of things which relate directly to your product, but they're different parts of the funnel. Um, you'll often find there will be um, third-party sites, whether it's um, SEO review blogs and G20, all those types of sites. They're already trying to focus in on some of those terms. So, you know, what is the difference between Moz and Majestic? What is the difference between Hrefs and SEMrush? So you already see a lot of these comparison websites focusing in different parts of the funnel, which don't always have high volumes of traffic, but can have very engaged, I guess, consumers. Um, so, mm-hmm. so that's where I kind of think you can start to expand your content topics without going to, you know, um, the very top. I want to generic. Yeah, I want to rank for backlinks. Yeah. Well, that's nice, but, you know, that's more of a vanity thing. Um, but the, the term of how do I calculate my backlinks, here's how you calculate your backlinks with Majestic. So I, I think that's where you can kind of still touch to the top part of the funnel, but it's much more likely you have the right to play in that space. Um, and those types of visitors are much more going to be uh, more engaged with your brand um, and hopefully will also lead to conversions. Yeah, it's a great point because a lot of brands, I think, probably make the mistake of going too generic or going too top of funnel where people searching that particular term may not even ever be actively interested in purchasing from that type of company. And if that's the case, why are you even bothering to to, to try? Yeah, but again, there could also be new areas of growth, such as I'm looking for SEO metrics. I'm looking for SEO metric APIs. I'm looking for, um, you know, backlink discovery tools. I'm looking for, um, you know, digital maturity models. So I, I think there's a lot of stuff, you know, an example of Majestic where you have the right to play and it is possible to capture traffic around those types of um, terms. But currently, no one is really playing that space outside of SEO bloggers and some of the, um, the comparison engines. So you've shared what SEOs should be doing in 2023. But now let's talk about what SEO shouldn't be doing. So what's something that is seductive in terms of time, but 
ultimately counterproductive? So what, what's something that SEO shouldn't be doing in 2023? I think it's capturing that, um, being caught down that uh, rabbit warren. You know, as SEOs, we get curious about stuff. We start clicking on stuff. We start finding things and assuming things. And all of a sudden, we've got 15,000 possible keywords that we could create content around. So I, I think very much getting caught in that little SEO bubble. Um, the other one for me is um, manual reporting. You know, I, I still get agencies that will send me an Excel file. You know, here's the month report, but it's five, six weeks after the end of the month. So what am I going to do with that? Um, so, and I, I think the biggest thing around, also around the port reporting is make it actionable. You know, um, your competitors, um, you know, to, um, trust flow increased. So what are we, what are we proposed to do about that? So I, I think that's a lot of the times in-house you do see reports saying um, the majestic score increased by one or two points. Who cares? You know, it, it's fundamental. Like you shouldn't be focused on such a fine sort of aspect. You want to be looking at general trends. So how are we trending over time? So again, we've done this in the past where we've um, taken all the data out through Majestic API and visualized in Tableau, we can start seeing trends. So then we can say, well, based on in the next six months, this particular competitor will have, you know, five times the amount of backlinks as you and twice the authority, which means they'll start ranking for your term. So you need to make a proactive campaign to start looking at link reclamation um, rather than just your Majestic score is increased by one or two points. Well, that's great, but it's not actionable. So yeah. So manual reporting just needs to stop. It needs to be automated. Otherwise, it's just, it's too much of a time suck. And when the reporting is done, it needs to be actionable. Get out of that rabbit warren. David Iwanow is head of search at Reckit, and you can find him over at Reckit.com. That's R-E-C-K-I-T-T.com. David, thanks so much for being part of SEO in 2023. Thank you very much. Get your copy of SEO in 2023, the book, over at seoin2023.com.